All right, well, today we are continuing in our series on the letter to the Philippians. Last time you may remember that we finished chapter 3 and actually got all the way up through chapter 4, verse 1, and we saw that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he returns will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So there'll be no more dying, no more death, no more pain, and no more sickness. And, and that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. All right, so going on today, we're going to look at some really great verses in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And these are some of the most popular verses in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in 2019... Verse 6 of chapter 4 was you versions most shared, most highlighted, and most bookmarked verse uh, for the entire year. And you know, I can't imagine that with all the things that are going on in 2020 that this verse has gotten any less popular during the course of this year. So let's read these verses together and then we'll just come back and see what we can unpack and take away and apply to our everyday lives. All right, so Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 to 7. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, would you please bow with me in prayer over the Word of God this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gifts. Thank you for your Spirit, for your Word, for your peace, God. Now we pray, move in our hearts by your Spirit and accomplish your Word in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, all right, now, these verses... And those that follow, uh, Paul is turning now to his final exhortations in this letter. He's, he's updated on them on his situation. He's shared with them all the things they need to know in order to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of Christ. Uh, he's shared with them the things they need in order to stand firm in the Lord. And it's like before he concludes, he's saying, all right, there's just a few other important things that I want to share with you. A few other important things that I don't want you to miss. So, so let's begin to unpack them. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's the first one. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, whenever God repeats himself, you ought to sit up and listen. How many of you have had fathers who used to say, you know, don't make me say this twice, right? Well, when God says something twice, we really ought to sit up and listen and take notice. And so Paul tells them here to rejoice. Now, in the natural, you might ask, you know, Paul, what are you talking about here? What do these people have to rejoice about? I mean, their leader and the founder of their church is in prison. They don't know whether he's going to be released or whether he's going to be executed. Uh, they've got challenges um, from without as there are people who are opposing them in their community. And Paul tells them that they need to be willing to suffer for Jesus if necessary. And then they've also got challenges from within the church because on the one hand, they've got these legalistic Judaizers who are going around teaching people that Jesus isn't quite enough. They need something 
something more. They need to follow all the, the, the laws of Moses if they're going to be saved. And, uh, and then on the other hand, they've got these uh, Epicureans going around telling people that, you know what, uh, because of the cross, that gives you license to just sin and live for pleasure. You know, so they've got both of those things happening as well. So what do they have to rejoice about? I mean, how can you rejoice in the middle of all this stuff going on? Well, I want you to notice two things about this verse. First, Paul never asked them to rejoice or to give thanks for all things, but rather in all things. Not for all things, but in all things. And, and that's a really important distinction. I mean, he's not saying, you know, be thankful that you were used and abused, right? He's not saying, be thankful that someone pushed you down and stole your lunch money. He's not saying to rejoice that there is so much immorality, you know, things like sex tra trafficking and violence and, you know, 125,000 abortions every single day. He's not saying rejoice for those things or to rejoice for suffering and pain or that there's persecution across the world and, uh, and apparently now here even in America as well on some level. But there is something you can rejoice in. Or maybe more accurately, there is someone you can rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in his love. Rejoice in his grace. Rejoice in his forgiveness and his goodness and his kindness towards you. Rejoice in the cross. Rejoice that, that he so willingly suffered for you, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God. Rejoice that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in his promises. Rejoice that he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Rejoice that he pours his Holy Spirit out on you, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Rejoice in the newness of life that he gives and the power over sin that we don't have to be in bondage to sin any longer. Rejoice that he says, cast all of your cares on me because I care for you. Rejoice that we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Rejoice that he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you to myself that you may be with me where I am. Rejoice that he says, you will all be changed and be like him uh, forever, never again to experience sickness and death. Psalm 103 says it beautifully like this. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. No matter what else happens in life, Rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice for all things, but we rejoice in all things. And then this brings us to the second idea in this verse. The Apostle Paul is an awesome and amazing example of all of this for us, of all of this rejoicing. I mean, 
He's not just preaching some nice-sounding message, right? This isn't just some trite saying that sounds good on a piece of parchment or looks good on your Facebook wall or on your Instagram feed, right? He's living it. I mean, remember chapter 1? He's in prison, and there's all these people going around um, trying to make things worse for him. It says they're preaching gospel from false motives, right? But in spite of that, he said that he rejoiced. And then remember chapter 2? He said he was being poured out like a drink offering. But in spite of that, he says, I am glad and rejoice with you. And remember in chapter 3, in the middle of all the difficulties with the Judaizers and the Epicureans, he's finding the ability to rejoice. And what this tells me is that this is not just some pie-in-the-sky notion that's unattainable for regular people like you and me, right? This tells me that our emotions do not need to be a slave to our circumstances. Did you hear that? Our emotions do not need to be slave to our circumstances. You know, when Corey Ten Boom was asked how she dealt with the horrors of the Nazi concentration camps, uh, camps she said, joy runs deeper than despair. And you see, the reason is joy and the ability to rejoice, they're not something that you just try your best to, to work up and, and produce, and they're not just something to be enjoyed by just a few people who have some type of just special gift for joy. Joy is the inheritance of the follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. Joy is the inheritance of the follower of Jesus. Only God can produce any joy in circumstances like this, and in the midst of some circumstances. And Jesus said it this way at the Last Supper, after, after telling a parable about how he's like a vine and we're like the branches, he said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, now here it is. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's not something you produce, not something you discover, right? It's an inheritance, the inheritance of the one who rests and remains in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I'll say it again rejoice. All right, now, going on to verse 5, there's something else important here that he wants to leave with us before he ends this letter. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 now. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, some translations might say uh, your kindness or moderation or reasonableness, and, and that's because this is one of those Greek words that, has, that is really full of meaning, has a lot of meaning, and it's kind of hard to capture all the meaning with just one English word. So it carries all of those meanings, and the idea, idea here is it, it's not weakness, right, but more like power under control. I mean, Jesus illustrates that for us. Remember in chapter 2, we saw that Jesus was in very nature God. That is, he's almighty God. He can do anything he wants, whenever he wants, right? But instead, he came to us in a gentle, kind, and reasonable way, as a humble servant. And that's the idea here. Be gentle, be kind, be reasonable when it's in your power to be otherwise. 
And not only be that way in your heart, but, but on the inside, but also let it be, he says, evident to all. Some translations say, let it be known to all. You know, now often when we say things like, um, to, to let something be known, we think in terms of, of proclamation, right, of, of proclaiming something. Like, we mean by telling somebody something, like, like, let it be known, hear ye, hear ye, I've got something to say. Well, that's not really what's meant here. He's not saying that we should tell anyone we can find how gentle we are to make sure that they know about it, right? The Greek here, word here for know, it's the same Greek word that Paul used in chapter 3, verse 10, when he said, I want to know Christ. The word gnosko, which means to know something experientially, not just head knowledge, right? Not just information, but to know something by experience. And so the idea is that when, when people come in contact with you, they should experience gentleness and kindness and reasonableness, right? Because it doesn't matter what you tell people about yourself. It's what they experience about you that really matters. And so when people are describing you to others, do they, do they say, you know, yeah, that person is gentle. Yeah, yeah, that person's a reasonable person. That person's a, a kind person, right? Because experience is better than telling. You know, it kind of reminds me of that old couple who once came to the pastor for counseling. They were having some difficulty in their marriage, and, uh, and the wife started by saying she was, she, was, she was frustrated because she said, you know, he never tells me he loves me. And the, and the husband was a little perturbed, and he responded by saying, well, you know what? I told her I loved her on the day we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let her know experience is better than telling. And experience with something is stronger than a speech about something. So be gentle, be kind, be reasonable, and let people experience that. And then the last verse here, the last word in this verse here says, to all. That is, to everyone. And that means even to people who are being unreasonable. How many of you have ever had people be unreasonable with you? You've had to deal with unreasonable people. Well, you know, it's easy to be gentle and kind and reasonable to people who are being gentle and kind and reasonable to you, right? But what about the times when you're dealing with someone who's unreasonable and not gentle and not kind with you? Well, the expectation here is the same. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't return insult with insult. Don't return cursing with cursing. When we curse, when we're cursed, we bless. And now, this doesn't mean, don't take me to mean that you have to let yourself be walked on or abused or taken advantage of or anything like that. We're not saying that. But we're saying that it means that you are a reasonable and kind and gentle person because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. All right, so let's go on now to the next verses. From, from the end of 5 all the way through verse 7. Uh, something else that is important that Paul wants us to see, right? So we'll read them all, and then we'll come back and unpack them. So verses 5b through 7, he says this. He says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, now, this is one of our favorite verses, right? We put this verse on our walls. We put it on our Facebook wall when we're going through a difficult situation, right? And, uh, we put it on our Instagram page. And uh, we like this verse. 
As I said before, it is like, verse 6 is the most shared verse on the version app for all of 2019, and for good reason, right? Because these are some great verses. I mean, I love these verses. So let's look at them and see what we can kind of take home with us and apply to our lives. Let's start with the last verse, all right? Verse 7. Look at it for a second. Let the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, now how many of you have heard this verse before? Right? Many times, right? I mean, I've heard this verse said this way many times. However, there's only one problem. This verse is not in the Bible. Now, I know some of you are probably saying, you know, you know, wait a minute, Pastor Paul, what are you talking about? You just showed it to us, right? It's right here in my Bible. I've heard it many, many, many times. Of course, it's in the Bible. Well, is it? Now, look at it carefully. What does it say? I changed here one or two small words. The word and and the word will. And the reason I changed it here for just a second is because of the great number of times I hear this verse said this way. And, you know, I think this might be possibly one of the most misquoted and misinterpreted and misapplied verses in the entire Bible. You change um, the and to let, and you delete the word will, and, and it changes the meaning and the application. And the verse becomes an instruction rather than the result of something. And so usually when I hear people quote this verse, it goes something like this. Well, hey, brothers and sister, you know, you've got a difficult decision to make. You've got to make a decision. Well, just let the peace of God guide you. Let the peace of God guide you. And the idea is that, you know, whatever you feel peace about in your heart, then, then that's God's, God's will for you, that God guides you by peace in your heart. But the problem is that God never intended, he never wanted us to be guided and to make life's decisions based on our emotions. Because our emotions can deceive us. They don't always tell us the truth. You know, and the number of times I've seen people make uh, bad, even ungodly and unbiblical decisions because they said, you know, they felt a peace about it. Well, you know, I prayed about it and I felt a peace about it in my heart. So it must be God's will. You know, well, you know, I'm going off here and marrying this unbeliever who kind of hates Jesus and everything. But, you know, I prayed about it and I have a peace about it. You know, or, or someone, and I, I've heard these types of things, right, uh, in, in my ministry where, you know, Pastor, um, I just want to let you know I'm getting a divorce from my spouse. And I'd be like, well, oh my goodness, what has happened? Is there, there some biblical reason? Was there unfaithfulness or, or some biblical reason? Uh, oh, no, no, it's not that, Pastor. It's just, you know, um, we're just kind of getting tired and uh, it's getting kind of old. We don't have the same uh, type of uh, joy and happiness as we used to. You know, Pastor, God wants me to be happy, doesn't, doesn't he? And he goes, but don't worry, Pastor. I've prayed about it and I have a peace in my heart. Look, can we talk for a minute? A feeling of peace in your heart is not a license to violate God's word. Let me say that again. A feeling of peace in your heart is not a license to violate God's word. He wants us to be guided by the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? It's not let the peace of God guide you. But what does it actually say? Let's look at what it actually says. It says, and... The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice the difference that little word and makes. It's not an instruction, it's a result. Something happens 
before these verses that result in the peace of God, a peace that's beyond understanding, that's guarding your heart. So, so let's go back and look at what these things uh, that are that are happening in the, in the previous verses, verses 5 and 6. Look at the end of verse 5. He says this, The Lord is near. So this is the first thing we need to understand. The Lord is near. Now, some people think that this little verse here, this little phrase, uh, is referring to the coming of the Lord, uh, the, uh, the idea that um, uh, uh, the Lord's coming is near. And, you know, it's possible that Paul has a little bit of that thought in mind. I mean, just a few verses earlier, he told us how our citizenship is in heaven and we're eagerly awaiting a Savior from there, right? So, so that's possible. But I think that the immediate context in the next couple of verses, verses 6 and 7, seem to have in mind this life here, how we deal with all of the struggles of this life here. And so um, when he says the Lord is near here, I think it's in the sense that he said, you know, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, and I will never leave you and forsake you. Or, or Psalm 46, where he said, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. The Lord is near. You know, listen, if you feel like you're all alone, if your emotions are telling you that you're all alone and all by yourself when you're facing troubles and difficulties, you know what the psalmist says? The psalmist says, in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. In Psalm 145, he says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And so if you're going to have and experience this peace that he's talking about, the first thing you need to understand and have is a rock-solid foundation in your heart that the Lord is near. All right, going on. The first part of verse 6 now, he, he goes on and says this, Do not be anxious about anything. Now, how many of you know that there are plenty of things in the world to be anxious about? There are plenty of things to worry about. I mean, here's just a partial list of things that people who study this um, have said that people often say they're anxious about. People are anxious about work, and they're anxious about not working. People are anxious about school. Then people are anxious about not being in school, especially in the middle of a pandemic. People are anxious about home life. People are anxious about relationships. They're anxious about relationships with their spouse. Teenagers make people anxious. Parents make people anxious. Bills, financial uncertainty, aging, fear of sickness, fear of loss, fear of a terrorist attack or some other violence. The election, the pandemic, loss of rights, all sorts of things make people anxious. And you could probably add a lot of things to this list. Now, according to this verse, how many of these things should a follower of Jesus be anxious about? None, right? None. Be anxious for nothing. You know, someone will tell me, I know, you know, Pastor Paul, you just don't understand. Uh, I've got a real situation here. I mean, this situation is different than all the rest of the situations. And, the, and it really requires me to just stop for a minute, sit down, and just be anxious for a while. Can I ask you all something this morning? How many of you ever fixed a problem that way? Nobody? How many of you worried a solution into a problem? A, a solution of a problem. Anybody? No, nobody? I mean, more often than not, worry 
paralyzes us and keeps us from doing the thing that we need to do to face a challenge, right? You know, I mean, it, it, it's not that some of these situations, you know, don't call for an action or, or some type of response, right? It's just that anxiety tends to keep you from the proper response. You end up wasting time, wasting energy, wasting resources. You know, someone once said it this way, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving, but doesn't get you anywhere. It keeps your mind in perpetual motion, but keeps you from progress at the same time. And so when you finish worrying, you find out that you're, you're in the exact same spot you were when you started worrying. So do not be anxious for anything, he says. Well, well how are we going to do that? How are we going to, to with all of this stuff going on, we have, we have to face and deal with, you know, how are we going to do that? So we already have the first thing, right? Know that God is near. So let's go on here in verse 6 to see what else we need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All right, so let's break this down a little bit, all right? You know, some people here get really um, complicated with these words, finding some distinctions in meaning between prayers and petitions and requests and all that. And I don't think we really need to complicate it that much. I mean, you've got a situation, right? How many of you can testify that you're either in a situation or you've just come out of a situation, or it looks like you're headed into a situation, right? I mean, you've got a situation. And so the first thing he says here is to, to pray. And prayer is simply talking with God, right? Having a conversation about God. Begin to talk to God about it. Tell him all about it. Tell him how you feel about it, right? And, and don't try to sound religious about it. Sometimes we, just, we, we waste so much time just trying to sound religious for God. Well, don't try to sound religious for God, right? Just be real and be honest with God. I mean, when you look at the Psalms and all the things that the, the psalmist brought to God, right, they were just real and raw with God and honest with God. So just begin to talk to God about it. Be brutally honest with him. And then next it says, make petitions. And that simply means to ask God for something. Tell him what it is you want and what you would like to see happen in the situation. I mean, don't just complain to him about it, right, and just leave it there. Tell God what you want. This is a really important step that helps us move towards peace in our hearts, right? It shows you and God that you actually do want a solution, right? You're not just a, a complainer. Have you ever noticed? I mean, there are some people who, who just want to complain. They don't really want a solution. You know, they, they, just, they just want to complain, you know? They just enjoy complaining, I mean, I heard of one teacher recently. I mean, this is this one person, and, uh, and it, but it's a real story, who, who said uh, as the school district was, or their school was trying to come up with uh, what they were going to do in response to this COVID and, 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 and reopening and all the policies, and finally exclaimed to another teacher, I wish they'd just make a decision so I could know what I need to complain about. Some people just want to complain, right? Not interested in the solution. But um, making petitions to God is part of this process of moving from the anxiety to the peace. Now, God might not give you the specific petition you asked for, or he might not do it in the timing that you want, but God is helping you find peace in this process. So, so make petitions. Tell him what you need, right? Tell him how you need him. Tell him how you need his wisdom, his insight, how you need his strength and, and his help. Tell him how you need his grace 
and his power to be able to face the things that you have to go through, right? Pray, and then make petitions. And now while you're doing all of that, while you're praying and talking to God about it and making your petitions and requests, add something to that. He says, add thanksgiving. This is another really important step here, really important component, because it's possible to pray and make petitions out of anxiety. Right? It's, it's entirely possible to pray anxious prayers that are motivated by fear and worry. I mean, this is really what Jacob's first prayer was about in Genesis chapter 32 when he was going back to meet his brother Esau. And the passage indicates that, you know, Jacob was in great distress and fear because the last time he saw him, Esau wanted to kill him. And so he's running around all day trying to think of ways to appease Esau, maybe give him some flocks and give him some herds. And uh, uh, he's worried, he's afraid, and it looks like he finally just stops and says, okay, now what else, what, what, what else can I, I do here? Oh, I know, I, I should pray. And it records that, that he prayed what looks like a very nervous and anxious prayer that took about 30 seconds. How many of you know sometimes there are some situations you need to pray over, you need to pray through? You know, you don't need to pray for 30 seconds. Sometimes you need to pray for 30 minutes. Sometimes you need to pray for three hours, right? You need to pray through until God gives you the peace uh, in your heart, the, the peace that passes all understanding, right? And, uh, uh, you know, often it's this thanksgiving part that really helps us get past all of that. So while you're talking to God about the situation, while you're, while you're making your petitions uh, to him, find some things to be thankful for. Like, oh God, you know, I remember a while ago when I was going through something similar. Well, God, I remember you were faithful to me in that situation. God, thank you that you've always been faithful to me. God, you know, while I'm going through this situation, I'm worried about things I might lose or be taken away from me, God, thank you for the things that can never be taken away from me, God. Your grace your love, your mercy, your care, your promises, your salvation. God, thank you for all of those things. Find some things to be thankful for. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Know the Lord is near. Talk with God honestly about the situation. Make your requests and petitions and add a huge helping of thankfulness to it. And then you arrive at verse Seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is an awesome verse. I love this verse. I hope you do too. Uh, I want you to notice just a few things about this, and then we'll kind of land the plane, all right? First, it's the peace of God, right? It's not a peace that comes from you that you work up or that you figure out, it's from God, right? It's the peace of God. So Jesus said it this way to his disciples when they were in a very difficult and confusing situation. He said, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This peace is something that comes from God, not from ourselves. But even more than coming from God, it is also of God, that is coming from the essence of who God is. He's the God of peace. So let me ask you, what does God get nervous or worried about? I mean, what happens down here that makes God worried or anxious? 
I mean, what happens down here that makes God slip on his, off his throne? Or, or what could happen down here that makes God uh, turn to one of the angels and say, you know, hey, why didn't anybody tell me about that? The answer is nothing. Nothing makes God worried. Nothing makes God anxious. He is the God of peace. And he has perfect peace for us. All right, so the next thing I want you to notice about this verse is it's a peace that passes or transcends all understanding. In other words, once you have it, I mean, don't try to figure it out. I mean, don't try to deconstruct it. Don't try to reverse engineer it. I mean, you can't package it into a nice little five-step process and sell it as a book, right? It's a thing that happens between God and a person. And it doesn't make sense. It transcends all understanding. You're going through this thing that's so difficult. And anyone looking on would say, how in the world do you have this kind of peace? What do you do to have that? And, and the answer is, um, it's beyond understanding because it's the peace of God. And lastly, it says this. I love this part. It's really great. It says, it guards your heart. Look at that word guard for a minute. It, it's a military word. Right? It's used in military settings, like a sentinel who will be guarding a, a fort or a gate or a barracks and who's charged with the responsibility of security for only allowing the people in who are supposed to be there and only allowing all the authorized people in and keeping the unauthorized people out, right? You know, my dad was an MP in the Air Force, uh, and he was stationed in Korea, and, and sometimes he had guard duty at the gate. And, you know, if you're going to get into that gate, you had to have the proper credentials and ID. Only authorized people get in. Well, here's a picture of the peace of God guarding your hearts that way. I mean, all these things and situations are coming by and they're looking to gain access and, and get in there and mess with your heart and uh, distressing situations want to come around and play in there, right, and cause mischief and stress and anxiety and worry. And the peace of God is at the door saying, nah, you're not getting in here, right? You don't have access. You don't have authorization. So, um... Uh, he's saying anxiety, worry, you know, just kind of get packing. Hit the road, buzz off, take a hike, make tracks, make like a tree, and leave. You're not coming in here. The peace of God is guarding the door, and the Spirit of God lives inside. It's the peace of God, it's beyond understanding, and it's guarding your heart. So God wants us to have joy and rejoice in Him, he wants others to experience the gentleness, kindness, and reasonableness that we possess because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he wants us to have his peace in every situation. All right, so as we close this morning, I just want to pray with you. If you could all bow your heads with me, and we're going to close in prayer together. Heavenly Father, just pray for all of your people, whether they're listening um, here or whether they're listening online or, God, on the radio. God, I pray that we would be people who are characterized by your joy. God, who are, who are characterized by gentleness and reasonableness. And God, who are characterized by the peace of God in our hearts. God, I pray especially for, for some who may be struggling with, with situations that they're in, God. They're difficult situations um, to deal with. But God, I pray that in the midst of this, you would teach each one, teach us all, God, how to know that you're near. God, how to uh, come to you with prayer 
and petitions with thanksgiving and not be anxious for anything, but approach these things with faith and with trust and with the peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in Christ.